Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. In terms of the time in which we live in and what we need to do. The stage is being set and in some reset in, in, in some respects already set for the meal in which we are the meal. So we're going to be devoured by Satan and his angel, um, I should say, demons. So when we talk about honoring our father in time like these, it's exactly what I'm referring to, the stage in which we find ourselves in now. That is the times that um, I'm referring to. And if we can quickly capture it, because Christ talked about the times that we live in now, when his disciples went to him, recorded in Matthew 24, and asked questions about the temple and then the end of the age. But Christ somehow did not enter directly into answering their questions But Matthew chapter 24, verses, if we look at his answer in verse 4 and 5. So he's been asked about conditions that are going to prevail in the end of the age. But he said, take heed. Take heed. Be careful. That no man deceives you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when Poseidon read Jeremiah, you, 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 you heard prophets that were prophesying in the name of the most high. But he said he didn't send them. So now in our days, if you continue in, in that teaching down to verse 11 and to 13, Christ continued and said, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive Many. But he that. Moving to 13 now. 
But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So, we see that there are going to be very difficult times captured from five coming. But beginning, Christ was worried about deception. So he wanted to lay it out first for everybody to know. We're going to talk about what you are asking. But be careful that nobody deceive you. And the reason that could happen is that there are going to be a lot of people that will come pretending to be speaking for me and speaking my words. And Christ didn't say, possibly deceive some of you. They shall deceive many. So this many is out of a few. Because if we're talking about the body of Christ, in principle, it's the few of the many. And then there are going to be many deceived out of the few. So it's, it's very disturbing that we may be going through this. So it's very, very essential that the repentance is going to be part of it. That if we know that our condition is not good, in order that we would not be deceived, in order that we can still be part of those who would endure, we need to repent. So, the whole concept of the sermon we have today, honoring the Father in times like these, the stage that is being set is that just picture these times when there are so many out there pretending or professing to be speaking for our God. And Pastor Adrian alluded to it. We, we don't need a lot of massaging information and facts to, to show the times that we're living in now. If you want that, then there's some concerns. Because everything that is going on around us and everything that we find said in the scripture is pointing to the fact that we live in a time of the end. You can look at it from the, big, uh, the bigger picture of the prophetic that Daniel gave in Daniel chapter 2 and you look at where we are and we look, we, there's only one possible kingdom that will come again. And that's the end. So if we're waiting for the stone to drop, because we're already in the days of these kings, so then we're just at the end. 
you can look at it from the perspective of even look at the, the holiday plan. As a physical event, the spring holidays have come to pass. So we just have to transition into the fall holidays. And the fall holidays, the way you look at it, it's not events that come and then it lingers for so long and then the other one comes. If it starts rolling, boom. So everything is pointing to the fact that the times we live in now, it's really the end times. So we're situating ourselves in a time where there is ongoing pervasive deception. And Christ was worried about it. And we should also be worried about it. And what we need to want to do is to be part of the people who will endure. Because there are going to be people who would endure. And those people who will endure will be the same that will be saved. You go to other parts of the scriptures and you're talking about people who will overcome. We're talking about people who will join Christ at his coming, the saints. We are basically referring to the same group of people. And that is where we need to strive to want to be. So, getting this contest, I'll come back to specific things that we need to be worried about. As examples of some of the things that we need to be worried about in terms of deception that is going on around us. But let me take some time to focus a little bit on honoring our Father. But keep in mind the contest is in these last days, in times like these. So the first part we want to be able to learn how to honor our Father in heaven by way of the example of a group of people that God himself identified and wanted to use to show Judah, his people, what they should have done. And the book of Jeremiah that Pastor Adrian referred to is a book that we, we of course, all the prophets, but it's, it's a very moving prophetic book to read. And it's very sad to read Jeremiah because you read the condition of God's people. And sometimes it feels like would I have done this? Then you turn around and look around you and we're doing the same thing. So we're not different 
from those people that were so stubborn before God. That the person that can forgive you tells you, come, because I have a covenant with you. You come. And once you come, I will forgive you. But they say, we're not coming. And they can tell God's people and say, well, everything you are saying is true. But we won't listen. What kind of a people? So, it takes the covenant of God to want to still want to work with people like that. So God, by the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ, will still work with us. But the, my fear is that there's a time when he will let you go and face it. Punishment. He will look on and evil will come. And will come to us. So it's a very key Thing that we need to repent wherever we find the need for repentance, the ongoing repentance. So God was expecting Judah to be a kind of a people to acknowledge him as a father. Judah. To see their God, Yahweh, to come to him and say, You are our Father. Because Isaiah, in Isaiah 63 16, made that point and said, But you, our Father, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Yahweh, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old, from long time ago. You, our Father, you are our God, you are our Father. This is not something we need to debate. Whether God is our father or not, we're not Muslims. They don't have a father. We do. We have a father. And we have a relationship with the father. But there is a minimum expectation from the father of the children. And this is what God was expecting. Minimum. From Judah, and by extension, all of God's people, that we honor him as our father. That we take a stand that of all people, we have a father. And this is what our father said, and that's what we're going to do. And you can't deceive us. You can't make me go left or right. You can't deceive me a day or in the night because I know what my father has said. 
And that is what I am going to do. I'm not going left. I'm not going to right. I'm just going to stay focused on what my father wants me to do. And the interesting thing is that God has given us a lot of examples of how he relates with us in the human sense. Gives us an, an, an experience of what he's expecting. We have marriage. It shows the relationship with God. We have these feast days that we're doing, going through them, physical examples, showing our relationship with God. We have children, teaches us the relationship. We have father, mother, the church, us, Jerusalem above and below, mother of like we have these human relationships that teach higher things of our relationship with God. So he used one of these relationships, which we've already alluded to, as him being our father. So, we, we find that he told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 35. He said, I'm going to send you on a journey. And I want you in that journey... In that journey, I just want to bring out something. And if we can all turn to Jeremiah 35, because we're going to read the entire chapter. And as we read it, we need to emphasize some things. And, and so take note, if you want to underline it, you can underline it in, in your own Bible. So, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the king of, sorry, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites. Speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. So we know the period. We know the people that Jeremiah has gone to, the Rechabites descendants of Kenites. The story will explain itself. So let's, let's keep going. 
and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Verse 3. Then I took Jasania, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habasinia, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Edalia, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the prince, above the chamber of Masaiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the, the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. Verse 6. This is a key scripture to note. But they said, the Rechabites said, we Rechabites will drink no wine. Jeremiah, listen. You said God told you to gather our family, our clan, take us into a chamber and give us wine to drink. Jeremiah, let me tell you, we Rechabites, we do not drink wine. And then he continues. For, because, the reason why we, Rechabites, do not drink wine is Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us. This is the reason. We received a command from our father. And this is what the command said. You shall drink no wine. Neither you nor your son forever. Young people, this is key. This is somebody's father instruction. If our father gives us instructions... We need to stay within that command. And so they're saying, we recobite, we don't drink wine, because our father told us, you should not drink at all, forever. There were other commands, neither shall you build a house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days, you shall dwell in tents. That promise. That ye may live many days in the land where you are strangers. So their father gave them a command and a promise. So as long as they kept the command, there is going to be a promise that they're going to live Many days in the land where they are strangers. 
verse 8. Thus have we, Rechabites, obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us. Everything that he commanded us, we Rechabites have every reason to obey his voice, his command. So together with our wives and our children, we have been obeying this command. And we don't build houses to dwell in them. And we haven't been having vineyards, as he said, and we don't have a field or seed. But we have dwelt in tents. That is what we were supposed to do. What we were not supposed to do, we didn't do it. What we were supposed to do, we did it. That's very important. We'll come back to it. And so we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all. Note it. According to everything that our Father commanded us. Honor. Honor. So, verse 11, they had a problem. So, the whole community of the Rechabites had a problem. So, they ran for their life. They went to live in Jerusalem. They were not supposed to be living in places like that. They have to be living in tents. But they said, the only time when we didn't do what our father said was when we came to Jerusalem. And the reason was that there was calamity. So we ran away from that calamity. It appears a disobedience here. But somebody gave me a piece of wisdom in my reading. And this person said, you know the wisdom in what they did? Because they obeyed their father. So they were living simple lives. It's easier for them when calamity came that they could move easily into a place of safety. Without having to think about the trappings of life. So in the face of it, yes. They've moved to Jerusalem, but their obedience is an enabling factor. God did not see that as disobedience. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter how we would rationalize it. Because he has now put these people in the presence of Judah. And God is a wise judge that he's not going to give any defense Lawyer, the opportunity to come and say, God, I have a, a point here. But you said these people never disobeyed. But let me tell you, you know what happened? They went to Jerusalem. 
What do you say? And God can answer, and God is not using a, an unfaithful example? No. He's evaluated them. And God knows how they stand before him. So, good. So, verse 13 That said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah. So now God is going to use the example for Judah. Now, you've seen these people, you've seen their example, you've seen their own testimony. Now, tell Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive, take note, receive instructions to hearken to my words, to obey my words, said the Lord. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, was performed. They obeyed. For unto this day, they don't drink because they want to obey their father's commandment. But you people, I have spoken to you, Judah. I wake up early in the morning, speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking. I bring my prophets to you over and over and over. But, sadly, you do not obey me. You have not hearkened unto me. I've sent you servants, I've sent you prophets, they rising up early and coming to you. Return to me, return ye now every man from his evil way, repentance, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them, and ye shall dwell in the land which I have given you and to your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. You see, God here, he also introduced an element of promise that if you obeyed me, you were going to do in the land, you and your fathers. But you didn't. And God said, because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandments of their father, which he commanded them. But these people, Judah, this church, not necessarily, the churches of God, or God's people at large, have not hearkened unto me. Therefore, said the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto you, but you have not heard. And I have called you, 
But you didn't answer. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandments of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according unto all that he had commanded you. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Because you paid attention, you took heed to my word, this is the kingdom. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world, inherited. That's the promise. And God said, the commandment of obedience, honoring your father, that is the first commandment that I have ever given with what? With what? I've said it differently, so I lost you. With what? With a promise. Or maybe you thought I was being um, rhetorical. So the commandment of obeying your father is the commandment it comes with promise. You heard me? The commandment to obey your father comes with promise. And we've seen it. In the commandment to the children of the Rechabites, I mean the Rechabites, we saw the promise. They got it. When God is speaking to Judah as a father, he attached a promise. Because in the commandment, Exodus chapter 20, commandment number 5, say, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you in the land. It's a promise. And you go to Ephesians and say, for this is the first commandment with promise. So, when we are obeying our father, when we honor our father, and honoring our father is not just esteeming our father, kind of. You, you, think, you think highly of your dad. That's not, that's not what we read. This is about obedience. This is about staying in your dad's instruction. This is about staying in your dad's commandments. This is about staying in your dad's restraints. It's about staying in your dad's correction. It's about staying in your dad's discipline. When you've been able to do this, that is where God sees that you honor your father. In Ephesians, he started with children. Obey your parents 
in the Lord. For this is good. There's nothing beyond good. There's nothing beyond good. Because only one is good. And that is who? The Father. God. So it is good to obey your parents. So as an example for himself, it is the best thing to obey our Father in heaven. Now, how do we transition from this honoring of our Father? And before I probably transition, let me make this point here. If you will recall, when Pastor Murray spoke a few weeks ago, I, I listened to um, some of your sermons from time to time. And Pastor Murray gave the story of two teenagers that wanted to go to the movies that their dad said, no, you can't go to the movies. This is what we're talking about. When your dad says, no, I do not permit you to do this, you got to take a step back. If you think there's a why, you take a step back and go and find out why than asking your dad, why not? It's safer for you, Jessica. It's safer for you, Daniel, to go and sit down and say, why would dad not let me? Go to the movies with my friends. You probably will find out. And it probably might stick more than trying to enter into a dialogue with that and say, but daddy, why not? Everybody is going. So that story that Pastor Murray got, the moment I heard it and I was preparing for this, I said, hmm. You see, Father's commandment to the two teenagers but they were trying to negotiate their way around the Father's commandment. If you try to negotiate your way around Father's commandment, the only place you go is outside the Father's commandment. And is that a good place or a bad place? The other thing that we need to, and Pastor Murray alluded to it, the young people try to work around their dad's authority. Our dad's commandments and our dad's instructions is basically establishing his authority over you. So keep this in perspective because I'm going to refer to it when we come to the deception. And you will see that we need to be very about what's going on around us. So, how do we then enter into what all this got to do with the times that we live in? So, we've already established that we need to honor the Father and now we think we understand that we're talking about obedience. Our Father's instructions, 
our father's correction, our father's rebuke, our father's restraints, our father's discipline. It's all embodied in the honor of him. So, how does this play out in the time we live in? Which we have already understood to be also the end time. And it's also the time of deception such that it's very possible that some of us could be deceived. Highly possible. So what is it that's going on around us that we need to be very conscious of? There are a lot. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to pick a few. And, it's, and even that, I'm not going to discuss them because it's lengthy. But just so that when you hear it somewhere, it pricks you. And you do a double, like you think it through before you move. My, my wife has done some work in the first area I want to touch. We have something going on and has been going on for a long time called feminism. Feminist ideology. And if you go to the university, one, probably one day, you might have the chance to go through feminist theory. And all that feminist theory stands for is dethrone the father's authority. Period. It, it's not an issue about whether women are being abused or not. That's not what the issue is about. If a woman is being abused, you can talk about a woman being abused. What it is about is that man, fathers, everything that has got to do with the male trait has to be dropped. And the more you're doing that, when our father has been revealed as a man, and our father has been revealed as a father, we're going to wipe him out. And I'm going to read a couple of quotes from one of the influential people in this feminist war. And I'm only going to stay in... Only one word that they use, not everything they say, I don't have time for that. But they talk about patriarchy. Patriarchy is the worst thing that has ever happened in human experience. Patriarchy. And this woman says, This is the simplest of, I mean, the basic definition, not going into too much. He said, the term patriarch derives from the Old Testament paternal ruler of a family, tribe, or church. And patriarchy is a former sociological or anthropological category for societies organized into kinship groups 
and governed or dominated by the elder male. You can just go to the Old Testament and what they say, you're going to see it there. True or false? It's there. God patterned the society around the male leadership. The elders. I've not heard any uh, elder woman in that sense. The elders. It's a male leadership. It's a male clan relationship. So, at the basic level, this woman sees where patriarchy is built. And so they take this and they say, redefine. He says, succinctly, in the radical feminist understanding, patriarchy is a sexual system of power in which the male possess superior power and economic privilege. So now, it's not about how families are organized, but I am going to tell you that patriarchy is a sense where we have men using their maleness to subjugate people, to bring people down and not make people right. To abuse people. And they used this in the 70s to make a lot of inroads to advance their cause. And so you go to our scriptures and we define our fathers as patriarchs. And you sit in a theory class and everybody. So everybody lambasts patriarchs, patriarchs, patriarchs. And you sit in there, how do you feel? That we can, we can get out of this. Stephen said, and the patriarch Abraham. And the patriarch Jacob. Who had the 12 patriarchs? And they turned it around. And he said, this is the worst system that has ever happened to mankind. But let me read these and tell you what they are actually thinking. So it got to a point in time in the 80s when patriarchy has been used. They have achieved something. Gender issues were coming up and said, well, now let's gender take it up. Because we've, we've done it. It's all in the notes. But they said the view of patriarchy as most deeply the view of patriarchy as most deeply cultural, psychic, and mental, or even spiritual, has motivated the search for alternatives to patriarchal religions and mindsets. For example, in revitalized goddess worship or witchcraft. Or the feminist reinterpretations of orthodox religious traditions. If this woman is talking about abuse, why, why if somebody abuses, then you, you start looking for worship of demons? 
And then you start looking for redefining God? That's not the answer. So it's a system to get us to wiping out our father and the authority of our father. And he said, in fact, feminist theology is feminist theology is one domain where the concept of patriarchy continues to hold much relevance. So actually in the so, so-called women exploitation area now, we're done with it. Patriarchy doesn't work there. Where it works is in the area of theology. How do we have a patriarchy as we define it to redefine the way we see God? This is where we are. And this, you would think that it's some big theory out there. It's not going to influence me. Or I'll go to school. I'll probably not read feminist theory. I, 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 when I see a class, like I'll avoid it. So, well, think again. It's so subtle. Now, let me read the last quote here. And it says, The terms patriarchy and especially patriarchal are used as a generic category for all kinds of male domination. In a number of cases, patriarchy is used as a modifier to suggest just about any form of ranking or oppression so that highly structured hierarchical forms of teaching, thinking, theology, and decision-making can all be said to be patriarchal, whether or not they suppress women in particular. So you see, that's not their goal. Their issue is not about whether it's going to suppress women. Now they're saying that just categorize it all as patriarchal. It's bad as long as you see a hierarchy. So if I'm telling you, my son, that you can't go to the movie that is a hierarchical thinking and decision-making and ordering you, my son, not to do it. That is patriarchal. And that is dangerous. What we need is dialogue. What do you think, Jessica? What do you think? Your dad reasoning with you. So, um, do you want to go to the movie? Is it, is, is it going to be nice? Oh, yeah, dad, you can go. Okay. Uh, and so, when do you want to come back? Daddy, start entering into dialogue with your children. It's no longer, Jessica, you can go. And keep in mind, that shall not in the commandments. Every of the commandment is either don't. Even where it says do, you read and you get the don't. Even the Sabbath commandment, remember. And then you think that you got the six days. But on the seventh day, right? So 
Read even where the commandment you think it's stated positively. It's still a negative commandment. And a lot of the commandments not. And that is why the question is, why not? Daddy is going to project the authority of the word of God. And we need as God's people. And I've used young people, you as the example. But, Brother Adrian, in the church, it's big dialogue. Churches are no longer giving authoritative interpretation and the word of God to God's people. Now it's about how you feel. It's about our relationship. So I don't say something in order that I will keep the relationship going. And it is, it's all over the place. Go, go to all the churches. What they're doing. It's all dialogue. They meet in small group. And I've done this small group before. I've been in small group for seven weeks. A church that was trying to win me. And I was there for a reason. <laughs> trying to get me into the church. Elizabeth and I were there. When you go to small group, nobody says anything that anybody would disagree. Whatever you say, that's up to you. And that's whatever I say, oh, okay. Yeah, so you said, uh, all right. And yeah, so, yeah, okay. And then they keep going. There is no authoritative thinking anymore. Why? Because it's only the father who can be authoritative. And we don't want him. So even ministers of God uh, have already succumbed to the deception without knowing that is deception. We need to stay focused on what dad wants and the restraints that he provides. Another example going to parenting. As parents, we get a lot of good advice from parenting experts how to parent our children. And I've said it already. It's all based on dialogue. Let me read this in McLean's magazine. It says, A functional family unit hinges, hinges on one social construct. That contemporary society has been working hard to dismantle. And that social construct is hierarchy. This is McLean making this observation. Society, contemporary society, would just want to get rid of hierarchy. So, <laughs> you have a wife that believes that you are the head of the family? This is a very archaic woman that you think there's a man who is your head. Where do you get that from? Because somebody is the man's head and that person has another head who is the father. So if we get rid of you, it's not about you because it has to make the other 
hierarchy drop. So it's not, you are not the focus. We just, just need to get rid of you. It's in parenting. Hierarchy. You need a strong alpha representation to inspire a child to trust you and to depend on you. If we don't have enough natural power, then we are hard-pressed to make the demand or set the limits for children. The parent always has to be honored as the ultimate person. But contemporary society, people not have anything to do. I, I, I do child protection, so. There are things that I just don't understand. What is happening in the school system? Have you heard any teacher that Johnny said he doesn't want to do the work and say something to Johnny? They go to the office and call Johnny's mom. Johnny doesn't want to do his work. Teacher, authority figure, you can't tell the child what to do. They go to the parent and call the parent. And we'll be tight, the parent says, Johnny, you go do the work, otherwise when you come home, you're in trouble. And the moment the parent called that, they called children's aid. That Johnny said, if he goes home, his mom is going to, whatever. So they call us. And sometimes it becomes an emergency. Because the thinking is that if the child says, I'm going to be hit, and you don't do anything, you are exposing the child to some risk, so you have to do something. So immediately, you have to get involved to make sure that child will not be hit. We are slashing the authority. And it's not about our authority that they are after. Our father's authority. I think my time is up. So, as I said, the other things that will come up, which I'll just mention. So, this is just the area of what the feminists will do, what is coming to us in parenting, what is going to come to us in even childbearing, because we're going to have children that we don't know who their father is in the first place. We don't even know the father, so how do you even talk about father? And that's already we providing funding for those kind of things. And the next thing that is going to come in the pseudo-religious element, you won't believe that a word like forgiveness, that Pastor read Daniel, and Daniel said, to you, O Lord, belongs forgiveness. And go out there and what people are doing with the word forgiveness with respect to healing. You forgive in order to get healed. And there are four elements. You forgive yourself, you forgive others, God forgives you, and you forgive God. You do these things, you get your healing. It's all over the place. And you think it's not going to influence us? Think again. Because it already happens. 
we need to be very mindful of the things that belong to God that we're taken away from him because we don't want a father's authority over us anymore. So in time like this, we need to step up and honor our father. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.